Hey, Jantans and Jantanites, it's Jason Desmond from the Jantan Collective with yet another exciting edition of What's Up With That, where we question, we learn, and we grow. Look, don't forget, subscribe, like, comment below. We love hearing from you. Maybe it might have been something that we talked about before that you feel very, very strongly about and you want to tell us about it. Or there's something that we haven't talked about and you think that we should get in touch because we want to hear from you. Now, uh... I want to talk about masculinity today. And uh, it's hard to define it these days. Sometimes there's too much of it. There's not enough of it. What's that perfect Goldilocks area for masculinity, right? And also, what's the difference really between toxic masculinity and is it okay to be fragile as men? You know what I mean? And also, because we are the Jantan Collective, we also want to know how we can be better men, be better jantans. Now, we've got the perfect jantan to talk about all this today. He's a transformational coach, certified master NLP, and also timeline therapy practitioner, and also a certified master hypnotherapist. We are today with Ezra Mitchell. Tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, what you did before, before you actually uh, got into this. Tell us everything we need to know. Sure, sure. No problem. So uh, I'm originally from the States. Um, I grew up in New York, lived all over the States from California to Texas, went to high school in Texas, actually went to, to college for engineering. I was uh, in electrical engineering for about two and a half years. And then I had this light bulb moment one day where I realized there's no way I can do this for the rest of my life. And everything just kind of collapsed. Then. Did everyone do engineering for some reason? I took engineering. I, I was an electrical and electronics engineer. Same here. I think it's, you know, for me, it was like, I used to like taking apart stuff and fixing things when I was mm. a kid. So you take this test in school and then they funnel you into a job that will pay you to do something like that. And it was great. But after a few years, I realized uh, I didn't want to work on, like on computers all day. I didn't want to just be, because I was working in research and development and I had very little social interaction and mm. uh, it, it just, I couldn't imagine myself doing this for the next 40 years. So I had this uh, epiphany or, you know, quarter life crisis. And um, that's when I decided, Hey, maybe I need to go travel the world and maybe I should um, find my father. So I'm half Indonesian, but I, I never met my father. Uh, I didn't grow up with him. He um, came to the States to study. That's where he met my mom in college. She got pregnant. He went back to Indonesia and right. he never came back. So I didn't even know if he was still alive, but uh, I, I suddenly was going to embark on this, this journey to quit my job, leave the country, move to a, a place I've never been to. I've never been out of the States mm. and find my father. And uh this what was, was it? Like, I mean, was there one moment you, you were going through some family photo album where you like had that moment where like, oh shit, I got I think it's time for me to do this? Or was it at work where your boss yelled at you or something that you just like fuck <laughs> this, you know? Well, it was like I, I was trying to figure out where I was gonna travel to. And um I didn't want to go to another Western country. I wanted something completely different. And so I was going through all the countries, and all of a sudden, like I, I found Indonesia on the map. And I just made this kind of connection. Wait, I'm Indonesian. My father. Oh, yeah, my dad. Yeah. Maybe I should go look for him. Right. And then I was I started counting and it was like, well, he's about 70 now. I think now is a time if I'm ever going to look for my father. Now is the time while he's still alive. If he's still alive, I should do it now. At that time, what, uh, what did your what did you tell your mom? Oh, she's always been really supportive. Um, as long as I'm, you know, fiscally responsible, she's always been supportive for me to do whatever makes me happy. So I think she knew it was really important if I was going to find myself, to to find my father, to find my next career or whatnot. And this is what I needed to do. As long as I was careful, she's very supportive. Right. So you ended up in where exactly in Indonesia? First point of contact, what Jakarta? Yeah, so I, I landed in Jakarta. And funny story, before I got there, I actually went on MySpace. This is MySpace. Holy back in the cow, day. that was a while back. Okay. Yeah. And I, I was doing a search for, you know, Indonesians. You know, I don't even know what I was doing, but I ended up finding these, these three girls that were punk rockers and they went to all these parties and they, they posted pictures and it just looked like 
the cool, the coolest girls. And, um, they, they were, uh, they were kind of running these events in Jakarta, this underground punk scene. Mm. And I messaged them and I said, Hey, here's my story. I'm half Indonesian. I'm com- coming to find my father, quit my job and all that. Um, tell me a little bit about Indonesia and Jakarta. So we were pen pals for about a year. Then they ended up when I flew, I was like, Hey, I'm coming. I would love to meet you guys sometime. They're like, well, we'll pick you up at the airport. We'll what? T- wow. So lucky for me, I had no idea how, how crazy it would have been if I would have arrived in Jakarta airport uh, with no help, but they picked me up at the airport. They took me to uh, a nice area in Jakarta. I got a hotel and then they took me around for two weeks. The wow. first weekend I was there, they took me to Indonesian weddings, uh, some concerts, all this stuff. So I was, uh, I was really blessed that uh, I was welcomed to the country with, with some amazing people. Yeah. So with open arms. And that, that's like a nice, gentle introduction into <laughs> that culture, right? That's brilliant. So how'd you end up in Malaysia then? Well, I was in, um, I ended up living in, uh, after Jakarta, I moved to Bali and I was in Bali uh, off and on for about 10 years. And then uh, I had an opportunity to, well, I, about six years ago, I got into my coaching, started mm-hmm. building my business and my business was going really well. And then I had an opportunity, just a twist of fate to apply at Mind Valley. Who, uh, if you know Mind Valley, they're in personal growth. It's the yeah. biggest company, uh, multi-million-dollar company. They do marketing really well, and so I thought, well, this would be a, a great opportunity for me to get even better at marketing and sales and uh, knowing how to talk to my audience. So I applied. Uh, three months later, I got an application uh, acceptance letter, and uh, three years ago, I moved to to KL to to work at Mind Valley. Wow. So. You got into uh, coaching, you say, around six years yeah. uh, ago, right? So how how did you get into transformational coaching and what is transformational coaching? Yeah, so after engineering, um, I, I basically, I left engineering because I knew I needed to find, I, I needed to find purposeful work. I needed to find something that would, that was my mission and it wasn't engineering. So after engineering, I got into teaching English. Uh, then when I went to Indonesia, I actually became an actor and a model. Um, then I moved to Bali. I became a uh, professional DJ. And all of these were great. They were, they were great opportunities, but they didn't last. And it was, they were fun, but it, it wasn't really what my calling was. Then a few, um, about two years before I got into coaching, um, something, so basically I've, I've had depression or I had depression for about 24 years. Ever since I was 14, I had suicidal depression and I struggled on and off with it. And, uh, you know, it would, sometimes it would be really bad and most of the time it would be okay. About, uh, eight years ago, it got really bad and it got so bad that, uh, I decided on my 37th birthday that I would end my life. And so on my 37th birthday, I Googled, I Googled how to kill myself. And uh, I planned to do it three weeks later. Crazy story. Confidential help is available for free at the National (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I love how. Oh my, that's that's not (laughs) Google. (laughs) Wow. The moment you heard Google heard that, I was like, okay, this person needs help. Needs help, yeah. So we know the tech works. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Oh my God. Three weeks later, the night before I was supposed to say goodbye, I was actually... I met my angel. I went to this party. I was going to, I was going to say goodbye to my friends. I wasn't telling them, but I was just going to say goodbye. And then I was going to leave the next day. I ended up meeting this angel at a party. I call her my angel. And, uh, I had this profound conversation with her for eight hours after the party. And that pulled me out of my hole enough that I realized I really need to get help. I need to exhaust all my resources and get help because, uh, if I don't like this, this is it. Wow. And a bunch of stuff happened. Uh, it took me about a year. I ended up healing the core issue that was related to my depression. And that opened up the possibility and the desire for me to help others overcome their uh, challenges and their pain as well and overcome their trauma. So that's what I help people now is really I do deep emotional work to help people overcome process trauma, uh, go through forgiveness and ultimately heal and live their life free of uh, pain from the past. What it, what was it that, if you could pinpoint one thing, what your angel said to you that just clicked in and you're like, I can't do this. What was it? 
Was there one thing or was there a few things? So I think the most important thing that this person, her name is Val, um, gave me is I felt I felt like she could see me. I felt like she understood me. So my whole life, you know, if you if you struggle with depression, at least this is my experience. What I what happened to me is uh, I became very good at wearing masks. So nobody knew, none of my friends, except my best friend and my family really knew I suffered from depression. So I was like the happy guy. I was like, you know, always confident in all this. And people didn't know my story because I wore this mask because you don't want to be Debbie Downer. You don't want to be the guy. Mm -hmm. Oh, here comes Ezra. He always looks, he looks sad. Let's avoid him. So you wear these masks to protect yourself. So I never let anyone in really. And for, for whatever reason, I felt something with this, with, with Val that she understood me and, and she actually did because she had a similar story and that feeling of, of having that safe space and understanding from someone else allowed me to express myself. And maybe that's all I need was just to express myself. And there was a cathartic event where it, it, that's what pulled me out. Just being able to, to say, this is what's going on with me. Hmm. And at that particular time, do you feel like it wasn't so much like uh, she was the perfect person to speak to, but also you were at that right time in the right place because yeah. th nothing in life is uh, by by luck or by chance, right? You were meant to meet meet up with her. Did you feel that? Yeah, I truly, I truly did. I mean, this was in the 11th hour. Like hmm. I was literally going to leave eight hours later. I was, I was going to end my life. Oh my God. So um, yeah, it, it was, it was the universe saying that, that, you're not going to pass to the next whatever by your own hands. It's mm. not your time yet. Uh, is Val still in your life? Yes, yes, she is. She lives in Singapore. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good thing because we're all pretty close by, right? So transformational coaching, uh, which was something that you you yourself had to move through. You transformed yourself, so you're helping other people go through. But then there's NLP and timeline therapy and hypnotherapy. Was it all with Mind Valley, or did you? Was it all something that you were going through? Uh, you were already coaching for, or already learning for? Yeah, I mean, um, in developing my business and um, and the work that I do, it's important to uh, continue education. And uh, I can only uh, be a better coach by constantly learning and educating myself. And, uh, you know, if I want to work with businesses, I need certification and stuff like that. So mm. I, I did a lot of research and based on what I I'd found out and what, what had worked on my own path, um, the subconscious work, that's what NLP deals with. It deals with uh, being able to um, not just analyze what's going on in the subconscious, but also change the programming. And so for me, it was, it was a lot about changing that programming uh, because logically, like I knew logically, oh, I, you know, um, I've got a great life. You know, I'm a mm -hmm. DJ. I make a lot of money. I live mm -hmm. in Bali. Like, you know, yeah. I've gotten surrounded by beautiful women. Like I've got, I got the life, but that's not how I felt inside. So it's like, well, if logically that's not working, there's something else going on that I need to shift or change or figure out how to fix. And that's through this psych psychological work, it's, it's, you know, in the subconscious. Cause you've been here for three years and in, in Indonesia. So, you know, the term jantans, jantans is yeah. guys, right? Yeah. And for the longest time we've been having this um, with the me too movement or whatever. Right. So it's mm -hmm. hard to be a good proper jantan because a lot of guys don't know what a real proper man is. How would you define being a man or masculinity? If you had to, how would you define it? Yeah, I think it's a really it's a it's a confusing time right now. We 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 kind of know what you're not supposed to be anymore, right? I, I looked up masculinity and it says uh, the definition is qualities or attributes regarded as characteristics of men. So what does I, that mean? I know what 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 stuck out to me though is the the key word there is character. And I think uh, as far as me is like when I think about masculinity, I think about what do I want my character to be as a man what type of man do I want to be? Do I mm. want to be kind? Do I want to be trustworthy? Do I want to be a leader? You know, do I want to help others? Um, do I want to be, um, you know, a team player? And, um, you know, so I think it's, 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 it's the definition of masculinity is going to be different for everyone because I think everyone wants different, different things or different characters. And as long, I think what's, at least important for each individual is are those characters that I want to embody, are they healthy? And do they, 
um, support other people and support the environment and everyone's growth and society, or do they take away from it? Right. Do I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want to be confident, but I don't want to be a dick. Right. Exactly. You know? Exactly. It's changed through the ages, masculinity, how you define it. Now, uh, men should be more emotional. Men should be able to cry. But back then, if you cried or if you teared up, you're like, for lack of a better word, they would, many men would call you a pussy back then. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's changed. How do you think it has changed? Is it changing for the better now? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're, we're evolving, you know. As men, as women, as society, our cultures, we're evolving, and and I think what's what's important is that we're open to that evolution, open to that change. So what maybe worked in the past, um, it doesn't mean it's going to continue to work or to work in the future. And um, you know, we didn't know, you know, we didn't know smoking was bad in the past, but Mm-mm. like that's because it was cool now. back then, right? Yeah, we didn't know that. Um, you know, if you hit your partner, that was abusive. And that was like actually degrading your relationship, you know, yeah. so we've learned a lot in the last hundred years. And we have to also be in, in willing to be willing to change to let go of, of some of those things that don't serve us anymore. Because I mean, a big problem also is, and I thought we were moving in the right direction at one point, because equal rights, I'm all for that. And then you had a US president, now a former US president, who was very uh, was caught on tape saying some pretty nasty yeah. things, very um, locker room talk in a way, which really shouldn't be in locker rooms even actually, to be honest with you, because things like boys will be boys. If you tear up, oh, you should man up. And I, I have, act- I've been guilty of saying that when I've, I had a producer one time, or I think it was an intern. I can't remember. He had a panic attack and it really messed up our show. And I kind of lost it. I said, dude, you can't do this anymore. Freaking do your job or man the fuck up. I, I basically say that uh, the moment I said that, I'm like, what the hell did I just say? I just perpetuated uh, something that I didn't never wanted to be. But are, I mean, what do you think of phrases like that? You know, like where it, boys will be boys, man. Uh, a, a horrible one is don't be a pussy. I hate that term. Yeah, I mean, some of those, some of those, I mean, you definitely don't want to use. Um, I think it depends on the context, though. You know, um, I think men do have a responsibility. You know, they have a personal responsibility. They, um, we have, we have ownership, we need to take control of our life. You know, I think it's still like, in order to be um, within a healthy society, like you, you want to be a leader. You know, you want to be leaders, you want to be able to take care and protect your community, your family and stuff. And I think those are important attributes of a man. And uh, so, like, I mean, you definitely don't want to tell your child uh, if, you know, if he's crying because, um, you know, a bully was 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 hurting him at school. You wouldn't tell him to man up, you know. But if you're if you're you're talking to your 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 buddy and, uh, you know, he's complaining about something, um, you know, about his, you know, his partner, you know, always want to talk about their feelings, you know, I would say man up, you know, a lot of those phrases, I mean, don't, don't be a pussy, things like that. I mean, they're, you know, they come from a, uh, an archaic time and there's really no, no uh, place for them any, anymore. Um, um, but, uh, you know, I think it's there, you know, I think when some of those were created in the past, they were like, you know, to help, to help, whoever fit back into this label, right. Right. Of, of, of how a man should be. And now that's changing because there is no one way for, for a man to be like, we know now um, through, you know, decades of research that it's actually very healthy and needed to express our emotions and to cry. It doesn't mean that we're going to cry in every situation, but we should be able to express our emotions you know, with our partner in private or, you know, be able to talk about our feelings. Um, unfortunately, pop culture has dictated how our societies um, show up and act. And we don't, we, we don't have, it's like the stuff that sells in pop culture and in media is the stuff that creates conflict and drama, right? So yeah. that's not going to be the healthy thing. If you watch you know, a, a, a TV show where everybody gets along and everybody's talking about their feelings, you're going to be bored out of your mind, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
So well, it's, it's Stepford Wives kind of life are they living, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's you know we I think we need to take a look at 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 everything that we do and everything that we say in, in this respect. And does that still work for us? Mm. Is this still is this a healthy thing to say? Is this mm. is this um, actually helping my son grow in the direction that I want him to, or is it continuing to be this 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 paradigm that that's um, that's antiquated? Yeah. Is it confusing though, you think for, for some men, like many men I know. Okay. And when I say many men, it's probably for all I know, it might be the minority. We might be the 20% or even less when I say, Hey, we know what that means. Okay. So I mean, I mean, amongst just amongst us friends, just a bunch of guys, we can say the silliest things. And it's not like we don't respect our wives, our mothers and sisters and, and women in general. It's just, we're, guys will be guys when we're like just the three of us and we're, we're saying shit right but for the rest of them do you think it's very confusing where they go what can i say what can i not say how am i supposed to really feel like last time uh i watched in, in movies like jarhead and everything yeah i mean I, I think we shouldn't be taking uh any of our education from from tv or movies right mm. that's entertainment it's not education Unfortunately, we consume so much of it, 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 it affects us on an unconscious level. We don't even know, mm. right? Uh, we see, we go to the movies, we watch TVs and, and men are acting this way. And so we think we can act the same way and have the same success in our life, you know? Um, but life doesn't, uh, you know, imitate movies, you know? It's, 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 it's not a sitcom. Real. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think it's, you know, it's, if it's not working for you, you've got to take the personal ownership to figure out, okay, this isn't working rather than complaining about it. Ask yourself, why isn't it working? Okay. I did this, but it didn't get me the results that I want rather than ex expecting um, or feeling entitled that it should, you have to ask yourself, well, okay, well, what's going, what's going on actually. And bring in that awareness, that consciousness. One of the things I love about what you do uh, and you're transforming men's lives, transforming people's lives because people want to evolve, they want to be better because they feel like, you know what, my, I haven't been going anywhere with what I've been doing. Something needs to change. When you, when you work in an organization where it's required of you to be highly driven in a way or something like that, right? And then you were one way before, and then you, you think, you know what, I want to change. I want to be a better person and whatnot, but the environment doesn't allow for you to change. How do, how do you work around that? You know, is that why you work for organizations, try to change it? systemically? Yeah, well, you know, any organization, whether it's education or uh, medical organization, or even, you know, corporate, it's a, it's going to take a long, long time to shift these. They are changing, but it will take some time. But if, if you yourself change and you're surrounded by the same people, it's generally, you need to find your new tribe. You need to create the change. Like, yes, you can change, but if everything around you is still the same and it's not working for you, then it's up to you to also change that as well. Get a new job, get a new career. You know, uh, one thing I've been fortunate enough is that I haven't been afraid to reinvent myself constantly. Um, completely new career, completely new country um, without that fear. Um, but that, but that's required sometimes, you know, when you change, you may see that all your friends um, don't support your change or they want to um, stay in that old paradigm and now your values conflict. And so what does that mean? Maybe it means you've got to find new friends. You've got to create new, new friendships. And just because you know someone from high school or from middle school, just because you know them 25 years doesn't mean that your uh, relationship is, is going to evolve together. You know, it's not time. It's the quality of the relationship mm. that counts, not the, the amount of time you've been friends. That's very, very true. But I mean, you've been in Malaysia and Asia for a while. There are a lot of uh, taboos. There's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of cultural things that don't change. Like uh, uh, it, a big thing is if you have a job already and you're supporting family and then suddenly you have, have an epiphany and you're in a, you're in a you, you're not you don't fit into this particular company or this role anymore and then you want to change and you tell your family they're going to go what you crazy yeah you know so there's a lot of things that that's hard to change in the asian culture i feel because i've lived 
everywhere else. And I noticed that it's very, you know, it's very um, much in, cemented in already here. But from the work that you do, the people that you speak to, what are the main problems you, that you always hear about constantly? It's just like, is it, are they not happy with work? Are they not happy with their lives, their relationships? What's going on with them? Yeah, I work with a lot of uh, people uh, related to their relationships or their happiness. Um, but um, I think a lot of, a lot of the, the problems that come between relationships and even, um, you know, circumstances like this where you change and your, you know, your family um, doesn't agree, you know, or, or they think you're crazy. Um, what, I've, what I've seen, and I think this happens in all countries, but I definitely see it a lot more in Asia, is the problem is, is that we don't communicate here. So the culture is you do what your, your parents say, right? You don't argue with them. You always say yes. Um, so there's, there's never a dialogue about something, right? If they want you to become a doctor that, or an engineer, right? Then you've got to pick one of those, right? And it's like you, there, you can't really have a conversation about you becoming an artist or a dancer or a, or a radio DJ. <laughs> uh, so we don't talk to our parents. We, we hold it inside and we try to figure out how to live our life without that kind of communication. And then that lack of communication spills over to our relationships where we have a partner and we don't really talk about these things. If you were going through changes um, or if you were struggling and you went through changes, your partner, your wife, whoever it is, would hopefully be there with you if you were communicating that whole time about what you were going through, right? Mm. But if you suddenly pop up like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm having a midlife crisis. I want to quit my job and, you know, and, and move to Bali or whatnot. And like you, and you know, this is a complete surprise. Of course, they're going to think you're crazy. Yeah. So the thing is, it's a work in progress that you should have been talking to your partner, talking to your family. You know, I'm, I'm really not happy with what I'm doing, but over a couple of years and then suddenly yeah. you do it, then it kind of eases them into your change. Is that it? Yeah. So a lot of my clients in Asia, uh, whether it's Indonesia or uh, Singapore or, or Malaysia, uh, I help them communicate. Like one of the biggest things is they kind of, they kind of know what they want, but they don't know how to communicate that to their parents, or they don't know how to communicate that to their, their partner or their friends in their life. So I help, I give people the skills to start those communications and it's, it's not always easy, but it's necessary. If you want a happier and more fulfilling life with, with people that also want to uh, be happy and fulfilled by you, then you've got to be on the same page. But when we don't communicate, we're on like entirely different pages and we're just kind of, you know, we're just kind of sleepwalking through the relationships until something huge happens. And then we blow up and then we see, oh, we're not meant to be together. Uh, if, but if we were talking for all these years, we would have either strengthened our relationship or we would have we would have figured out that we're actually not compatible and we should have broken up a long time ago does that happen a lot though with the people that you speak to where it's like you're not the man i married and then next thing you know they just break up no i mean i i think you should always try to um work towards a solution to um everything you've invested in a relationship to mm. to fix it um, and see what you can change what you can improve and how you can deepen the relationship but i've also helped uh, you know, I've helped uh, a few women uh, go through divorces um, and that was figure out, do I actually want to get a divorce? Is this actually right for me? What do I want? Um, and of course, you know, the, the, the first step is always to, to try to fix the relationship and work towards it, right? That's why you go to therapy and, mm. and therapy together and so you can fix it. But if you can't, then, then something needs to, to happen, right? There's always this stigma of like, if you divorce, you fail in your relationship. That term fail is always there in Asia, is it? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the culture, it really, it's, it's about integrating, right? Being a mm. part of the community. So that's like being the same and um, being a part of the collective and not standing out. Um, but you have to really ask yourself, you know, what, what is more important is, is doing something that, no longer makes me happy or that actually causes me pain um, uh, or, you know, finding my own happiness. And ultimately it, it doesn't matter what other people think they're not living your life, right? They don't live your life. They don't wake up every day to be you. 
like, it doesn't matter what they think or say about you. Like, unless you make it your concern, it doesn't affect you. And so yeah. I think there's too much of that. I'm worried about what they will think. I'm worried about what my family will think. I'm worried about this. And I'm, I know it's deeply ingrained in the culture. That's one of the things I'm, I'm blessed that I, I feel blessed that I grew up in the States. It's got this very much individual mentality, yeah, which has its drawbacks too. Like I'm not that close with my family. I don't have this kind of, you know, the, the, the family unit is so beautiful in Asia because, you know, you, you stick together and you take care of your parents when they get older. We don't really have that too much in the U S but my mom always, we always supported me to, to carve my own path and not care what other people think. And so, um, there are a lot of people in uh, Asia as well. And, and, and there's a lot of women that are waking up to this and they are getting divorced and it's not bothering them that they're divorced and they're now no longer living by these rules, these you know, these old rules and these old taboos, it's changing very quickly. It's, uh, it's quite amazing that Asia is changing very quickly. Yeah, and uh, even in another 10 years, it, it will be, you know, much more common. Unfortunately, that divorce is, you know, uh, um, a solution. But um, I think it's important that, you know, the so the converse, the communication, if we communicated first, we would get into relationships and we would marry, we would be less likely to marry people that were not meant to be later. Exactly. Because I think a big part of the problem is that people get pushed into marriage or they get pressured into marriage early to get a family, to get kids and whatever, because of the family unit, it's family honor and stuff like this. Right. And uh, I freaking got married at 40, 41. Anyway, my wife's going to kill me for this, but around 40. Right. So, uh, I, I didn't feel the pressure to get to get married because again, probably because of how I grew up. But if you get it right the first time, you won't have to divorce. I suppose that's what you're trying to say. But yeah. people are just rushing into it. And then they realize later on, like, this isn't what I wanted in the first place. And things need to change. And then the newspapers and the press go, oh, the divorce rates are rising in the US and whatever. Media is part of the problem as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's like just because the divorce rates are rising doesn't mean um, that marriage is failing. It's just there's uh, there's more options for people to to get out of them, right? I think we're still everywhere. We're still so concerned with you know the marriage, the getting married, you know the wedding, but we don't consider the marriage. And so everybody wants to tie the knot. Everybody, you know, your parents want you to get married. It's that time. You're that age. You know, society says this, all of this. And so we're all like, we're all like really positive about it, you know, before the wedding and then the wedding happens and all that. But then you have the marriage to deal with. And it's like, we don't always do the like due diligence mm -hmm. um, to see, is this really the, the, the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with? And if I'm already having these kind of problems before we're even married, marriage is not going to fix these. It's only going to make them worse. But I think a lot of times we ignore this because we think, it, oh, it, it'll just get better, right? I, I made this mistake. I was I was in a relate one of my first relationships when I was the first time I fell in love. After a year, it was like rocky, and, and I thought, oh, if we move in together, it'll get better. No, no, we just we just prolonged another year that we should have broken up. And that's what marriage is going to do. It's just going to prolong, you know, you're, you're in now in this contract and then maybe you'll have kids as well. And then it gets even harder to, to change that. So it's like being able to ask these tough questions early on and also being able to communicate with your partner. So you truly know your partner before you make this sole contract. Actually, it's funny you said that because we had a friend who had this, you know, it's, it's very fiery relationship on again, off again, whatever it is. And they broke up and then they got back together again the last time. And then next thing you know, they, uh, he told us, we're getting married. We're like, what the fuck? I thought you guys didn't like, what's going on here? And I said, no, no. We realized that once we, uh, it's all about the pressure of getting married. Once we get married, things will work out. And obviously it didn't. After six months, they, they divorced and whatnot, right? Then after that, we had to, like, we had to tell him, why did you think that would solve your problems? He's, he just said, you know what? I, I just thought it did. And then I thought it would make her happy. And then she would lay off and get off my back and everything. How do we, let's just say we've spoken to you or we've, we've gone to a transformational coach and we have evolved, we've changed. And then we see a friend of ours 
going down that dark path, how, what do we tell them to like, dude, you got to snap out of them. This, this ain't working. Well, we, you know, we can always try, but when it comes to love and, and relationships, uh, very rarely do, do we listen to other people. Right. Mm. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think like ultimately you, you want to be a model, like you can't tell someone else how to live their life, but you can model the life that, uh, that, that you want to live. Right. And you hope that the people around you will see the choices you make and, and how Rub you live your them. life and, um, how you reduce the pain in your life. And, and they'll ask you, Hey, like you're doing great. Like, you know, your relationship's great. Like what's going on? You know, I'm, we're always fighting. Like, how do you, how do you manage that? You know, cause nobody, especially, you know, men want to be told like, you know, you're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, dude, are you, are you, but crazy? it doesn't help when a guy also goes, well, we're just lucky that way. It doesn't really offer any solutions right yeah no no and i mean it's like about it's about real real communication of like really like actually having a conversation of uh of what that looks like um and you know if you really care about your friends really sitting down not like jokingly hey man like what are you doing like you're an idiot but like hey man uh i want to talk to you because i care about you you know and i want to see you happy and uh i just need to share this with you but like this is this is what i'm seeing and that's all I want to do is share. I'm not telling you what to do, but this is what I see. And I'm, I'm just concerned about you. Are you making the right choice? And, you know, most of the time, though, we have to go through that experience in order to learn. So it doesn't matter how much you tell your friend, he's got to go get divorced to, to actually get that, get that learning. And hopefully he got it this time and it doesn't happen again, you know, but um, sometimes you, you have to you have to let them go through that pain because that's the only thing that's going to change them is the pain. Yeah. But again, I want everyone who's watching right now, we're not encouraging you to get divorced. We're just saying that yeah. if it does lead down that path, you know, and after all you've done, it's not necessarily what everyone labels as a failure. It's not. But we've been talking a lot about relationships and then self-transformation and being a better version of yourself. In general, what can men do better in this day and age? And when I say this day and age, back then it used to be, we're in a new millennium. We need a change. We're not, we're Gen Xers or whatever it is. But now we're also having to deal with COVID and being stuck at home and, and this and that. What can men, what can Jantans do better generally? I think we need to take responsibility um, for everything in our life, you know? Um, there is this whole dynamic that's changing and it's been in, in process of changing between men and women. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's painful to let go of the power that men have had, you know, um, within our relationships, within the workplace, within all this, you know, it's like, we've always, we've been first or we've been one making decisions or it's, it's our way. The you alphas, know? right. Um, and it's time we have to let go of that for more of an equal, equal choice, but it doesn't mean we can't, we still want to be leaders. Um, but it's, it's about taking that personal responsibility that there is an evolution going on in relationships. And if you want to have better relationships, it's, it's about changing with that and taking the responsibility to do what you can to, to be a better man in all areas. You know, I, this is what I work with men is on uh, self-mastery. And that's kind of looking at all areas of your life holistically and seeing which areas you want to improve or um, which areas aren't working or which areas are great and you want to make even better. And um, so it's about bringing more awareness. I think it starts with awareness of what's working and what's not working. And then if it's not working, is it the situation or is it me? Right. Do I need to change the situation or is there something inside of me that I need to change? More often than not, is it, is it me? Um, Usually, you know, uh, a lot of it is us, mm. but if we're in a toxic work environment or we're in a toxic relationship and we've tried to fix it, we've tried to integrate into it and it just doesn't work, then maybe we have to leave that. Mm. Um, but also sometimes it's, it's our resistance to it, right? It's my resistance to uh, being able to share with my partner. Like she wants me to talk about my feelings and I don't want to. So I'm resisting. So I'm creating, I'm creating a separation and conflict in the relationship because I'm not, I'm not willing to do something, right? I'm not willing to, to work with her on that level. Yeah, so but, I, I, but need Esther, to... I mean, some women love, oh, 
especially the initial stage, I like him. He's a strong, silent type. And then midway through the relationship, so you're comfortably comfortable being the strong, silent type. We generally don't change much, right? But then the thing is, she's like, you need to tell me, talk about your feelings more. But wait, I'm the strong, silent type. That's why you fell in love with me. So now you're wanting me to change. I'm not comfortable with that. Do you tell her that it's going to take me some time to get used to it or, you know? So regardless of how it started, like every relationship uh, is going to grow. It's either going to grow or it's going to die. And so are you willing to grow in the relationship? And that may even mean changing. It doesn't mean you need to change your personality, but it means it means things are going to change. Things that worked before may not work now. And you can be the strong, silent type and still share your feelings. And when I say share your feelings, it doesn't mean that you turn into this, you know, weak, you know, crying, yeah. you know, guy all the time that is just, you know, like that. But it's it's about the context of the situation. Like what's 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 going on between us right now and what what do I need to do in order to have find a solution with my partner or in this situation? How can I change? So it's like. I think the problem is like, we want to stay the same, mm. but if we're going to grow, you, you can't stay the same. Right. Yeah. And we're really comfortable with who we are. Right. But you're right. I mean, relationships need to not so much change. I suppose evolve. Right. But if they do want to learn how to do all this, I mean, like where can they go? Who can they talk to? Can they just rock up to you on the street and say, Ezra, I need some help here, man. I'm a dick. I need, I need some help. What, what do I do? What do I, what do I need to change? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think it, it's, it starts like, you don't, you don't need to go anywhere in particular, but it, it's, it, it starts with, with, with being able to communicate. I think that's the real, the real win for a lot of men is like, we've never communicated before. So I've, I've been running men's circles over the last, uh, two years in, in Kuala Lumpur. And, Every time I have a men's circle, I get a lot of new men coming that have never what, been. Wait, in this what's circle. a men's circle? Meaning what? How's that work? Oh, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a where a group of men, usually like between six to eight men, come down. We sit in a circle, mm -hmm. and we share. There's no conversation. It's one person sharing at a time. So you have a, you have like a, you know, a sharing stick. So you you pass around the stick. When someone's holding it, they can talk. When you're not holding it, you can't talk. But there's something really. Uh, powerful about being able to share and you knowing it's safe and nobody's going to say so a lot of times we don't share because i don't want my friend to try to give me advice you know or try mm -hmm. to tell me you know what i'm doing wrong you know even though i might want to talk about it you know i don't i don't want him to try to fix fix me you know but so this this men's circle allows you to share whatever's going on with you whether it's a win or a challenge or whatever you're going through and you not, you don't get any feedback on that. And then you pass the stick to someone else and they share. So it's like completely safe. You can get this off your back and wow. something cathartic happens. So I've had a lot of men that, that come to these men's circles and just the act of sharing and nobody saying anything back to them, it, it, it changed them and it, it, it opened them up and they saw that, Hey, I can, I can share this something about me and I don't die right? That's mm -hmm. what we're worried about. We're worried, we're, we're afraid of like, you know, dying or, you know, um, being embarrassed or being rejected. Um, but, but that doesn't happen. And when you kind of go through that experience, then you see, well, where else in my life could I, could I share what I'm, I'm thinking? And this will actually be beneficial, you know, to this relationship, whether it's with my parents or whether it's with my partner. Um, and so they begin after this, they begin to be able to share, but you don't even need to go to a men's circle. And it's, it's really, a, it's about like the people that you're close with having a real conversation, like having a serious conversation and mm -hmm. just being able to share something like, you know, I've, I've, I've known people that like, they've been friends for decades and then they finally have a conversation and they talk about things they've never told each other. Mm. And like, that's amazing. But like, why did you have to wait decades to, to have that conversation? Right, right. Men, we always want to, like, even when our wives or girlfriends or whoever just comes up and talks to us about something, we always want to have a solution to what they're going through. Sometimes it's, it's hard not to say anything. It's hard to just to shut 
shut up and not say, you know what you should do in my life? I did this. It's hard not to say that, right? And is that part, is that slightly, because I, I struggle with, with the term toxic masculinity. What is toxic masculinity? Is it being overly bravado about everything? Is it always wanting to have my say? Is it always wanting to be number one? Is it always wanting to have a solution to whatever my friend is going through? Is that toxic masculinity or is that just wanting to be a friend and not knowing how to, the right way to do it? Well, I think inherently like men, like we're, we're problem solvers, right? Mm. You know, we're, um, we're also leaders. And so we, we want to take this into every, every situation. We want to be the hero, right? Oh, I'm coming to the rescue. I'm saving you. Yeah. But it depends on the context that doesn't always work. Actually, like, you know, if you're having a conversation with your partner and um, usually, you know, they, they just want you to listen because so it's, you can think of it's like another circle, right? Mm -mm. She, she just wants to share and she wants you to listen to her uh, because that what she needs in the moment is she needs to express herself and she needs to be heard. That's what she needs. She needs to be heard. Now she could ask you, what do you think? What should I do? And then it would be like, okay, then I could give a solution. But a lot of the times, and this is the mistake that we make as men a lot is that my partner actually doesn't want a solution. They just want to be heard. And so can, can I practice this more with my partner? If just like, and it's tough when you first start doing it, you're just like sitting there and just like, and you, you, you know, you got, you got the thing that's going to fix them. You got the thing that's going to solve it. You know, it's really easy, but you got to hold back, you know, unless they invite you to that. Oh, okay. Right. Or, or you ask them, did, you know, do, do you want a solution to your, like, uh, are you asking me what you should do? And she should probably say, no, no, I just, I just need to express that to you. I need to get it off me. You know, now I feel so much better. Thank you. Thank you, honey. Like, oh, I love you. And it's like, you didn't do anything, but now you're the hero. Right. Right. Unless they outwardly say, I need your help. I need a solution to this. Do you know what I can do? Or can you help me with this? Mm -hmm. Then you offer a solution. Otherwise yeah. just like shut the fuck up. Right. But you, you know, you just ask, you ask your partner. Mm. You, you could ask her like, what, what would you like me to do in this situation? You know? Right. And, and then it's like, the more you have these conversations and the more you're going to be able to read what your partner actually needs. But usually we never have these kind of conversations. So we have no idea what they need. And of mm. course we just go to what we think they need, but it's about, you know, it's not what I think it's, it's what does she actually need? Not what I think she needs. So just, you're saying it doesn't always have to be, I need some help. I need to go see Ezra. Just sometimes just talk to a friend. Yeah, you can, you can start it. It's really, I think we just need to start communicating, you know, on a real level with the people that matter to us, you know, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, we all have friends. We've been friends for years, but we've never really had like a really deep, you know, talk. And it doesn't mean every talk you have with your friends needs to be deep, but like, you know, go there. And especially like, you may find that you need to express something. And are you at a place where you can do that with your friend? Can you tell this friend this thing? Or it's like, mm. no, actually, we're not on that level, you know, but we've been friends for 10 years. Well, why aren't you on that level? If you've been friends for 10 years, you should be able to talk about anything. Then maybe you're, you're not at the same level of friendship that you thought that you were in. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that can give you insight, like, well, what is actually the depth of our relationship? Mm. Is this really a good friend or just an acquaintance yeah you know and also i suppose the moment you just need one person to start it right and then you're like yeah i'm i've been feeling like this whatever whatever and then you're then the other person goes you know what i've been really i've been wanting to, to get this off my chest as well does, does that usually happen where one person you just need someone to start and then you you affect change in everyone else generally yeah it it, it only requires you know in every relationship, it only requires one person to change to transform the relationship. And so I've worked with, I've worked with, uh, with clients before that they changed and their parents didn't change, their mother didn't change, but their relationship fundamentally changed because she came with a new energy into that relationship. And so she was no longer being triggered by her mom and she was no longer triggering her mom. And so the relationship transformed. I mean, I, I experienced this with my own mom when I, when I healed my relationship when I was 34. I on, only I needed to change and I completely changed my relationship with my mother. Because ultimately, that's the only person you can control, right, yourself. But sometimes um, society, 
what, whatever you call it, right? I mean, uh, the people around you, the community around you, society in general, don't want to change. They're like, hey, things are going to the, the way they were, even though things are going to shit globally. There's more wars now than whatever, and you know things need to change. How do you change something at that level? Yeah, so um, Jordan Peterson has a great, I think it's chapter six in his book, 12 Rules for Life. The chapter is called uh, Clean Up Your Own Room Before You Criticize the World. And so if you want to change society, it's, it's, society is made up of individuals, right? And so it requires a change in, in yourself first. Um, and it's like, you know, it's like the work that you're doing, you know, mm. uh, having these kind of conversations, they end up changing people on a small level, but then that, that, that creates a ripple effect and it changes more people and more people can have these kind of conversations. And then, you know, five, 10, 15 years in the future, it's, it's completely different and you contributed to that, but it, it really starts with, with ourselves and, and changing ourselves. If we want to see a different, um, a different type of world. Any final advice for everyone listening, who's watching this specifically men? Like if you become a more conscious man, it doesn't mean you're any less manly. It doesn't mean you're any less strong. Like it, it, it's, there's only like, you only need to shift a few things, but it doesn't mean you need to become this feminine, you know, you know, different type of whatever we picture a man to be. You can be that, but it's, it's understanding in each context of, of how I want to show up for myself and the people around my, around me, that's, that's healthy. And so there's one thing I wanted to talk to It's like, uh, like vulnerability, this comes up a lot that, you know, we're, I think we're kind of taught that, you know, vulnerability, I think, you know, the, the definition is like weakness, right? It's um, where you're, where you're weak. And so in a, like an emotional sense and with relationships, vulnerability is where you share something, right? You open up and you're vulnerable and you share something that um, is, is, you know, that, you know, maybe not everyone knows and that you're afraid to share or something, mm -hmm. but it's actually vulnerability is, is one of the strongest things you can do. So if, if you think, if you can stand in the face, like naked in the face of anything without the fear of being destroyed, and you can, you can stand there confidently, that's the ultimate strength. The reason like we're afraid to be vulnerable is, be, is because there's some weakness inside or there's some, some part of ourselves that we don't want other people because, to see because we'll, we'll fear we'll be rejected or ostracized or it'll be embarrassing. Mm. But all we're doing is hiding that weakness. If you really want the strength, it's to stand in that imperfection, willing to be destroyed and no one can destroy you. Like that's, that's your, 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 you know, you're willing to um, be destroyed in the face of anything without the fear. That's the ultimate act of strength. And so that's why vulnerability, it's actually, it's, it's strength. It's not weakness. When you can share your supposed weakness with anyone, with the world, like me sharing my, my story about, you know, wanting to kill myself and, and, and mm -hmm. suicidal for 24 years, that's now my strength. It's not my weakness anymore. And I embrace it and I own it. So it's, it's owning your imperfections, owning your supposed weaknesses completely. Then you have the, the ultimate strength. That was, sorry, I, I was just very drawn into that because I, I totally feel that because I suppose that the, the fact that you're hiding your insecurities of hiding your, your, your so-called weaknesses that takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of energy out of you that you can't actually focus on the things that you really want to do when everything's out there. Nothing can, can harm you anyway, right? Cause everyone knows everything about you already. Exactly. So, so Ezra, you're going to be running a, a men's circle in star Hill. Um, part of the whole super retreat uh, program, the star Hill narratives connection by super retreat. Uh, that's going to run all the way to July. Can anybody just rock up to that? Or how do we, how do we, how do you do that? You get that's in person, not on Zoom or anything, right? Yeah, I would um, I would check out the uh, Super Retreats uh, Instagram uh, for the information when it comes out. Um, but yeah, all men are invited. Um, it'll probably be a small group, maybe uh, like six to eight men. Um, that's like the ideals. But we're gonna have uh, ideal size. But we're gonna have uh, several of them. And if they if they go well, we're gonna have more. So I was doing them before lockdown, 
um, with uh, another wellness space here. And um, I've taken the last six months off because, you know, we've had to, mm -hmm. but uh, we're going to start them up again. And uh, the conversation is very much uh, needed and asked for here in KL. So all the men that have come to the previous circles, they keep asking me, when are you having the next one? When are you having the next one? So, um, and it's, and, it, and it's great. Like, even if you, you know, I've, I've had a guy before, he's like, you know, I'm just here because my friend told me to come, but I'm not going to share. And, and I was like, no problem, man. Just, just sit and listen. Oh, really? Okay. So yeah. yeah. And after, after an hour and a half, he shared something with the circle that he never shared with anyone. He opened up about, you know, um, his relationship with his father and he just shared for 10 minutes and he was so profoundly impacted by it, um, that, uh, you know, he had a conversation with his friend who he's known for 17 years and mm. he told her stuff that she never even knew about. Like they'd been fr great friends for 17 years. So um, magic can happen, you know, uh, yeah. within these spaces. And, and, uh, and I just want to start the conversation. And I think we need it even more now because I think a lot of people are going through these, whatever you call a midlife crisis or just this they've experienced some epiphany in their life and lockdown just does stuff to you, right? This whole, this whole COVID That's thing. Tough. So I think we need it even more. Once again, it's uh, the Star Hill Narratives Connection by Super Retreat. Uh, it's in collaboration with Star Hill. Uh, check out the Men's Circle with Ezra. I think, you know what? If We're going to put this. The link is right here. You can check it out. And I'm definitely going to be there because I'm usually not a talkative person. <laughs> But you know what? Uh, yeah, no, I, I there's some stuff I need to get off my chest as well. And uh, I think it'd be great to just talk, I suppose. But Ezra, in general, any final words to anyone watching right now who's going through something in their life right now? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been tough. It's 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 been tough for me as well uh, during COVID. Um, you know, it's it's challenging. It's it's forced us into a whole new um way of living and uh you know even though it seems easy to sit at home and and not go out and just order grab and um and sometimes that's like even better yeah, um, yeah. there's something else going on you know and when we don't connect with other people and uh we spend too much time alone and too much time on our phone um so it's challenging but it's 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 an opportunity for for us to to look at our resilience right and see like is this working out for me or am I struggling? And, uh, you know, I, I speak from experience, you know, I tried to, I tried to fix, you know, I've tried to fix myself, um, by myself for 10 years and I made some progress, but it wasn't until I had that moment where I got so close to death. I, I really, I realized, okay, it's time that I, I get help. Mm. And this was the, this was the shift in my life that I, I needed not only to save myself, but to also find my passion and purpose and mission driven work. And that was to ask for help. And so, yes, it's uh, challenging sometimes for men to ask for directions um, or help, but really it's like, we only have a limited amount of time here on this, this planet. And I can spend all this time spinning my wheels in the same place, or I can ask someone for directions and I can get to where I want to go much faster. And this doesn't make me any weaker because I asked someone for help. You will find like, if you, if you read any of the autobiographies of some of the most successful people in, in the world, the richest people in the world, they didn't get there by themselves. They had so much help along the way, coaches, mentors, therapists, you know, their partners and because they were willing to communicate with those people. So that's what I just invite you to do is uh, to communicate a little bit more, share and reach out when you need it. Um, those people that you trust. All right. Stop being lost, get the ways of life. And his name is Ezra Mitchell. Ezra, thanks so much for having a chat with us, man. I feel like uh, there, there will be more chats with you. I think we're just, we're just skimming the surface right now. And, uh, We'll be having more chats with you soon, but thanks for this particular one. I feel so much uh, like I need to do a lot more with my life right now. Thanks, man. <laughs>
Yeah, thank you so much, JD. This has been amazing. Uh, I love what you guys are doing uh, for men here in Malaysia, and I would I would love to contribute more if I can. So uh, awesome having this conversation with you, man. And you know what? Hope you enjoyed a little chat we had with Ezra about masculinity. Uh, what new thing did you learn? Did we miss anything that uh, you would like to know? Do get in touch with us because we want to know what you think in the comments below. Uh, thank you so much for watching. We love the fact that you do and we love the fact that you are learning. And ultimately, we also want you to remember, don't be a dick. <laughs>